the music's on, run, run, run. And I'm running in here. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> Hold on just a second. I have issues. More than we can count right now. Okay, there we go. Hello, everybody. How y'all doing? Oh, y'all. Too old to run that fast. Hi, everybody. The Appleton Gang. Woo! Sound like a bunch of gangsters. Let's don't sit down. Stand up. <laughs> everybody, stand up. We'll open in prayer as I'm now catching my breath after being a couple of minutes late. Hallelujah, Father. We thank you for your kindness and grace. God, we pray as we open up the Word tonight that it'll become alive, powerful, and real to us. Help us to grow from it, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. God, you may be seated. Hi to everybody watching online, our small groups, our other campuses. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe. Yes. All right. So we're picking up now. Paul now changes... Uh, after dealing with a lot of problems they were having, is now, he starts getting into some other things. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so now he starts talking about spiritual gifts, which is really stunning to me uh, because these guys apparently really experienced a lot of spiritual gifts, which is amazing when you read the first part of the book. <laughs> so they almost sound like they're a bunch of pagans, you know? <laughs> Guys having sex with prostitutes. One guy's having sex with his mother or mother-in-law or whatever the heck the thing is, stepmom. Uh, they're all fighting with each other, taking each other to court, suing each other. When they have communion, they'd get drunk and party. I would think the last thing you expect out of these bunch of people are gifts of the Spirit. But nonetheless, they did. So it's kind of encouraging. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's because most of us... Uh, here at Celebration Church are former Catholics. <laughs> but there's a mentality you get. You got to think you kind of got to earn things. You know what I'm saying, right? Well, God can't use me because I haven't done this enough or I haven't prayed enough or I haven't been spiritual enough. So when you look at this, you go, well, apparently, you know, God can still use you. And it's why they're called spiritual gifts. You don't earn gifts. Gifts are given. At least they're supposed to be. Some people give you gifts with expectations on the other end, but uh, we generally don't care for those sorts of things. So they're gifts. God gives gifts to his children and stuff. I think the main reason, well, beside thinking, well, we got to earn it first, is that we just don't talk about it enough and encourage it enough. Um, one thing is clear as we start reading this, that the normal Christian experience should be filled with the supernatural. That's the norm. If you're not regularly experiencing the supernatural, we're not quite doing this right. And I think if you really think about that, we're just not doing this right enough because we're not experiencing the supernatural as we should. Anyway, let's jump into this. Let's take a look what he starts talking about here. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. We were talking about that last time. Don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray. Uh, therefore, I want you to, by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about that just passing very briefly. You know, it's just the kind of thing that they can't say it and really mean it, or can they literally not say it? Uh, uh, people who've actually dealt with things like demon possession, uh, which is really creepy, uh, will tell you they can't literally say it. And it's one of the ways you can really tell. I mean, they, they will scream, they'll yell, they'll just act all kinds of weird, crazy, they just can't get the words out. Uh, so that's what they think it's talking about. In any event, he goes on. He says, now there are different kinds of the gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Uh, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work, which is important. He's going to get into this more in just a minute. 
you know, the, this whole thing of the gifts of the Spirit isn't so people can go off into their own cliques about what they think is their spiritual gifting and stuff like that. It's all supposed to be for the whole church. We're all supposed to be experiencing this uh, together. All right? Hola. Como esta? You're late. You ever see me late? Have I ever been late? I was late. I was like two minutes late running in here. Ah! So I just like to condemn others for my own sins. All right, so. Uh, no, I don't, but uh, that is kind of a thing people like to do. All right, so, um, so now he starts talking. He says, now it's the same spirit, the same, and we're all in this together. And again, stressing that these are gifts. Okay, the spirit of God does this. God does this. Now, uh, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Again, stressing, this is for everybody. To one, and now he starts going through some of these gifts of the spirit. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. What does that mean? You know, wisdom generally is knowing what to do in a particular situation. When you don't know what to do, you pray for wisdom. Solomon, you remember the famous uh, account there where God comes to Solomon and says, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. Now, most of us, <laughs> we'd be thinking, give me the cash, right? Uh, but he didn't do that. Uh, he said, give me wisdom so I know how to do this job. And God said, you know, that's amazing that you would say that. And because you didn't ask for money, because you didn't ask for the, you know, your enemies on a platter, usually the two things they would have asked for. He says, I'll give it all to you. And uh, it made him wealthier, I think, than any other human being has ever been uh, in terms of just pure wealth, you know, even by today's standards. If you were to add up the amount of money that they, the, the, the nation was blessed. So this is called the, Israel's golden age. They had so much money. You talk about a run on the stock market like we can't even imagine. He was paid annually, his annual salary in I don't know how many, but it was tons of gold. I forget how many tons of gold was his annual salary. Turn gold, right? I mean, how much is an ounce of gold right now? Ballpark, 1,500 bucks? Give or take, whatever. You know, I'll take a pound, that'd be great, right? Tons. You do the math on what he was earning just himself. And of course, only a nation that is insanely wealthy could pay tons of gold. To someone, hi, Wanda, hi, I just saw you guys, friends from, uh, I was going to say old friends, but you're not old, uh, uh, from Marshfield. Uh, but tons of, so they're incredibly wealthy. So God, Jesus, because you didn't ask for money and, and this other stuff, he gave them more money than he could ever handle, and they had peace. As far as we know, there were no wars during all of Solomon's reign, uh, which is stunning. I mean, these people went to war every spring. Every year they were at war with somebody. It was the natural. So his entire lifetime, they had peace, prosperity, all because when God says, ask anything you want, he says, give me wisdom. Well, then, of course, we know the wisdom of Solomon. He always knew what to do. He was the wisest man who ever lived. Can you imagine having political leaders who always knew the perfect thing to do? Neither can I, you know? Because <laughs> these dingbats don't know what to do 99% of the time. So anyway, so that was so the wisdom, what do I do? Now, what is the gift of wisdom? It's when you're talking to some, or the only way to really know it is when it happens to you. And you can just feel the spirit of God as you're talking to someone and they're telling you the problem and all of a sudden, you know what you ought to do and boom, it becomes so clear to you. I've had it happen to me where I was stunned by the answer. I think that was brilliant. You know, but it wasn't me. I mean, you could actually sense the presence of God. I mean, as you're doing this, I believe that's called this. It's just, here's a gift, just the gift of wisdom given to someone else or supernaturally, you know, the perfect answer, which is what we're supposed to be in. Now, I'll tell you what we have today overwhelmingly in Christianity, not much here because I preach against it constantly, is people come to people asking for advice and all they ever tell them is, 
Pray about it. Or just, just pray about it. Which is the ultimate cop-out in Christianity today. And it makes me crazy. So I want to take these people and stick them in the toilet and give them a swirly. And, and you have no idea. Someone will come up and say, you know, I, I really think like, you know, I'm thinking about cheating on my wife. What should I do? And the bulk of Christians would say, pray about it. You don't pray about that, you nimrod. You don't do it, right? I had a guy here on a Wednesday night come to me and he says, you know, I, uh, will you pray for me? I, I feel guilty. And, uh, you know, and I always say, ask questions. Just don't pray for people. I think we do a huge disservice, number one, by not asking questions. And I think we do great damage by praying for someone and making them think they're okay now, Right? Oh, I feel really bad. Oh, let's pray. You know, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and Jesus loves you. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Rattling all this and pray for it. And the person leaves and he feels better. But now he's going forward in his, in his stupidity. Guy tells me, I feel guilty. I want to know why. Why do you feel guilty? Well, I just do. Well, it's got to be a reason. Well, you know, I moved to town here and I'm having sex with some lady. I said, man, you know you're not supposed to. I know, I know. I says, well, just marry the girl. Well, I can't because she's married. <laughs> well, I ain't praying for you, you nimrod. Said so you need to repent. Do you see the difference? You pray for, oh, Lord, you know, we just quote scriptures over him. No, my, no, the guy leaves and he actually thinks God now approves of his stupid behavior. Are you following me? You know, no. So, I, I, you know, at the town that he moved from, I says, didn't you have Christian friends there? Yeah. Do they know why you moved to Green Bay? Yeah. What'd they tell you? Pray about it. When you have a friend who says, I'm thinking of moving to another city to have sex with somebody else's wife, you don't tell them to pray about it. Are you hearing me? I mean, it's always ask questions. And sometimes, well, I may not know what to say to somebody. Well, if you don't know, find someone else who maybe does. But the nice thing is if we're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sometimes God will just fall on you. The Spirit of God will fall on you. You can sense it. I'm telling you, you can sense it. And boom, you'll you'll give answers that are the perfect answers for you. It's called the gift of wisdom. The Spirit of God just does this. Okay? So that's the uh, gift of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Uh, I haven't experienced this as often, but I have, and I've seen others who've done it or you literally, you know something about somebody you shouldn't know. All of a sudden, it's just boom. And you say, well, let me ask a question. Are, are you doing such and such? And they stare at you. And they are shocked, and the breath comes out of their lungs. And, How did you know that? The gift of knowledge, again. And that's cool, because God wants to do these kind of things. He wants to show up and just, you know, dance among his people. All right? Which, by the way, these gifts, as far as I'm concerned, the way I view it, is supposed to be happening among people in church. Okay? Well, the way we've done it since the 1930s or whatever is one person has what he thinks is a gift of the Spirit, and he becomes a famous evangelist. And his picture's on the side of buildings, and they're taking big offerings because I have a gift of healing, or I have a gift of this, or I have a gift of knowledge. You know, I don't think that's what this was supposed to be ever. I'm not debating whether or not they do or do not have a special gift. I don't think. It's not supposed to be to turn somebody into a rock star. Are you hearing me? This is supposed to be happening among the church. People say, well, why don't we experience it more around the church? Well, number one, we don't think about it enough. We're not being reflective. And probably the biggest reason of all is people don't talk to each other in church. Right? And I've I've told this before to you. Some people say, I'm praying, I'm, I've been praying, God, and you're, you're going to die someday. And you're God, why didn't you give me the answer? He says, man, I sent that answer 10 times. Really, where? To that guy over there, you never even talked to him. So that's why you want to connect with other people in the church, other Christians. Broaden your horizons a bit. You know, involve yourself with people and get involved in ministries and meet different people in the church. You will see that God loves to use people. Sometimes he'll use you and to speak into people's lives. And sometimes these gifts will come and it's for your benefit. You know, you're struggling with something and all of a sudden somebody look at you and, and they just know what it is you're dealing with. And you will just look at them stunned. And, uh, and it's cool because God knows these things, okay? So, uh, message of us to another, 
Faith by the same spirit. Some people who just have a, a supernatural gift of faith to trust God for you to turn a situation around. That is also uh, uh, very cool. I don't know how many stories I should share. We'll never get through this. But uh, uh, To another, gifts of healing, obviously. Praying for someone and boom, they're healed. To another, miraculous powers. I would think faith and healing would pretty much wrap up the miraculous powers category, but... Apparently, there's other stuff. I don't know what it is. I don't know, but it's, but you know, it's neat. If if you listen to, we should be experiencing these kind of things where you'll hear stories of just something miraculous. God using somebody to do something miraculous. Again, that's so they can be on TV now and start their own ministry. All right. To another prophecy. Now, this is an interesting thing because people uh, kind of misunderstand the whole prophecy thing. Do me a favor. Favor. Can you go? In my office or whatever, or somebody's. Yeah, in my. You got a key? And get a get a bottle of water. Agua, agua, por favor. You don't have a key? You don't work here? <laughs> Did you get fired? Oh, Diane's getting it. Oh, bless Diane. Oh, never mind, Diane. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Look at this. See, that was a gift of kindness. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I hate it when a speaker drinks in front of everybody because then everybody else wants to get a drink. But I, I couldn't talk. <laughs> All right. You don't see we do it very often. All right. All right, so, uh, but prophecy. Now, most people think prophecy means perfect, like telling the future. Uh, it can uh, entail that, but most Bible scholars believe it means literally a, a spiritual utterance. Like God has given you a message for somebody. And that's a prophetic word. In a very real sense, when preachers preach, uh, they're supposed to be moving in a gift of prophecy, where they're speaking and there's an anointing. It's not just, there's people who are good speakers. I think I'm a good speaker. You know, people pay me to speak, you know, companies and stuff like that, but I'm not prophesying to those people. Uh, I'm just trying to make money. <laughs> but, uh, but when I'm in ministry, it's supposed to be different, you know, and, and I can sense the difference. And anybody who's done it knows what I'm talking about. You can feel the spirit of God coming through you as, and people come up to you and say, man, how did you know that? It's like you were in my house. I can't tell you how many times I hear that. My wife and I were yelling at each other on the way in today and you said that. We looked at each other. <gasps> how did he know? There's a microphone somewhere. You know, uh, and, and that's just the spirit of God. So that's pretty much what we're talking about, I think, when we're talking about prophecy. It could be something in a future's tense, but by and large, it's, it's, a, it's a, an inspired word, okay? To another, the distinguishing of spirits, a gift where you can really tell something's of God and something that's not. You know, the Bible tells us to be wary of false teachers. Uh, you know, there's people that will try and come into your life. Satan will send them into your life to try and jack you up. Uh, and sometimes if you just be sensitive to the spirit of God, alarms will go off and you'll know, ah, something's not right around this person. Uh, now, <laughs> There's people who just have a gift of <laughs> distrust. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. That's not a gift, you know. They're just paranoid about everything. I don't trust that. You know, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, boom, you can tell motives. You can understand a spirit that's behind something and, and you'll know something and feel something you can't even ex explain why. I believe that's this gift, this gift of discerning of spirits. Something becomes clear. Uh, and, you know, I love that in my life. You know, I'm not seeing something. Somebody comes up to me, my wife or somebody else in the church and say, you know, something's not right about this. And I wasn't paying attention. I think, oh, and then we reevaluate. So oftentimes we find out, yeah, this would have been a bad direction to go and stuff like that. Okay, um, and then to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Okay, you all understand that, right? And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. That's even the more impressive one. People speak in tongues all the time. Uh, you know, get filled with the Spirit. They pray. They're speaking in another language. They don't even know what they're speaking. Uh, Paul says it could be the language of men. It could be the language of angels. All I know is it's a very cool experience. Most of the time in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when someone was filled with the Holy Spirit, they did speak in tongues. Uh, you know, not every single time, but it's a pretty standard thing. Uh, today, uh, a lot of churches don't pay as much attention to that as, as they should, including our church. We, you know, but if you go to like our spirit, spiritual gifting classes and stuff like that, we talk about this and we pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit and 
We hope that you speak in tongues. We don't shake you until you do. that's, That's not what we're talking about. We don't think that if you don't, that you're not saved or anything. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't have the spirit of God. We just think you're supposed to be prayed for. Which, by the way, if you as a Christian, you've come to Jesus and stuff, but you've never had a pastor or elders in the church lay their hands on you to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit, you really should. Uh, and, and ask about that, because that's what's supposed to be happening. So well, I don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what happens. The thing is that we're supposed to be doing that. So, well, I, I got the spirit of God when I got saved. Yeah, I'm sure you did to some degree, but when you read the New Testament, there's an absolutely separate experience. Overwhelmingly, they would get saved and then they would pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. At times, you know, they would happen instantly, but then at the same time, but they start speaking in tongues or something supernatural happens. There is something special about being prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mainline denominational churches uh, believe that because anybody who reads the Bible knows that, that that's true. But that's what they call confirmation. They made it, you know, we're going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. But, you know, like so many things in mainline churches, they've taken truth and just turned it into a bunch of rituals that, you know, I don't think really has the power it's supposed to have. So anyway, it was a side thing, speaking in tongues. And people who, someone will speak in tongues and all of a sudden the other person understood what they said. That's pretty cool. Interpretation of the tongues. Now, all these are the work of the one and same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All right, so now, uh, now he's going to go into this whole thing about, you know, don't let this stuff separate you, because that was their problem. They were being separated by all kinds of things. Now, if there's one thing that's true about (laughs) Christian people, is we easily get divided. You know, everybody's moaning and groaning, because Republicans are divided. Really, that ain't nothing. You should go to church. Now, I'm talking about people who get divided and fight and argue and bicker about all kinds of dumb, stupid things. Which one thing, by the way, <clears throat> we encourage people to, to volunteer, you know, in different areas of the church, but to never make that volunteering that you do so important that it gets you upset if it doesn't go the way you think. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that volunteering shouldn't become your church. There's people who, well, you know, I, I just work in children's ministry and I, that's all I do, and they never come to the main church. They don't even view me as their pastor, literally. Uh, now, when we catch that, we try to nip it in the bud, but this, because they come, become so obsessed by that thing that they do, and if they can't do that thing that they get all upset, the only reason they're even at the church is because we get, allow them to do something they have a passion to do. But that's a bad sign. When you, all you do is live for that one thing, and, you don't, and you're not connected to everything else, that's this problem that he's talking about. These people that were just all, all kinds of splits and things, uh, which he's already talked already. But apparently they were doing this even with spiritual gifts. And then he's got to go into this thing. He said, look, just as a body, though one has many parts, uh, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of just one part, but many. Now, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, well, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. There's people who think, you know, like this, you know, I'm not a hand, what can I do? You know, I can't pray like I should, you know, I can't teach the Bible like I should, I don't know, you know, there's not a stop. You know, find whatever, you might be, a toe. <laughs> I'd be a toenail. We have to cut you every once in a while. Kind of keep you in line. You know, it's all part of the body. You know, don't think just because I'm not some part of something that's real visual that I don't have value. That's not true. Some of the most important, he's, he's going to say in a minute, some of the parts you never see, at least if you do, we'll call the cops. All right? On the human body, we hide these parts, but these parts are actually treated with more gentleness. And then some of the other parts. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean they're not important. I know it sounds gross, but he's going to say the same thing here in a minute. All right, so, so verse 8. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, <laughs> I can't see anything over here. I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being, just because you say you're not part of something doesn't mean you're not part of it anymore. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, 
where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Or it would just sit there and never move around. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable (laughs) and should be covered, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, thanks be to God. And while our presentable parts need no special treatment, you know, my hand's my hand, who cares? But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it, right? You hit your knee, the hand goes, it'll be okay. <laughs> right? Right? It's all, it's all because we're, it's all connected uh, with each other. It's supposed to be that way in the Christian experience. Now, you can't really get to that kind of connection if you only come to church six times a year, whether you need it or not. Okay, you're not going to get connected. And you're not going to get the full experience if you just come and talk to one or two of the same people every time and leave. Part of, and and this is on you. I can't make you do this. There's no magic for this. At some point, you have to make the decision. I need to be more connected. I need to spend more time here. I need to volunteer. One of the best ways to do it is to volunteer because that's when you meet other people and you do something. Uh, You know, don't just come to church and at the end, it's like the Kentucky Derby. Ding, and they're off. And everybody flies out the door. There's, There's... that's the reason some of the people sit in the back. They want to be the first ones out of here. I get it. God bless them. But they're not going to experience a lot of stuff that God has for them. God, why didn't you ask my prayer? I tried. You never stick around to talk to anybody. Pray with anybody. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Is everybody an apostle? Of course not. Is everybody a prophet? Of course not. Is everybody a teacher? Of course not. Do everybody, does everybody work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, no, no. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now in this part, and he'll talk about this again in a minute, even though he talks to them as gifts, and they are gifts, Part of the response to this is how much you desire the gift. So the role you do play, you don't earn it. He never says earn these gifts. What he says is desire them. Desire them. Most people think, well, if God wants me to have something, I guess I'll have it. Yeah, if the Holy Spirit kind of looks at you and nah, and moves on. All right? These gifts tend to come, according to Paul, to those who desire it, who pray for it, who ask God, you know. Again, don't try and earn it. Again, we're always into this earning thing. Uh, But to make yourself available and have a desire for these gifts. Okay. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And we get into chapter 13. Now, this is the one that everybody reads at their weddings. It's the love chapter. All right. But it wasn't designed for weddings. (laughs) This isn't about romantic love. It's about Christian love. Now, Uh, What's the most excellent way? Well, what he's saying here, if you have all this stuff, this is great, and desire the best ones, but the most important thing we should have is love, all right? Which again, you can't experience if you don't talk to people, if you don't connect with people. And it's not everybody else's job to do this for you. I mean, I I know I sit and yell, and sometimes pastors do, you know, you be more friendly people that you don't know, but at some point, you're the one that has to do this. You have to step out. You have to engage in conversations. You have to find a way, get involved, volunteer as an usher, all kinds of things that you can do, very simple things. And by the way, anything that you volunteer for in church is pretty much brain dead. Or sometimes it's really insulting, right? How much, and this isn't the, <laughs> I say that every once in a while, and the ushers get mad at me. But <laughs> How much intelligence does it take to ush? Right? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not a 
Well, I, I got five degrees, and this is our present pleasure. Good, be an usher. You know, humble yourself. Uh, greeting somebody at the door, parking a car, cleaning something up. To, you know, these, all these, virtually everything, you, watching a little baby, changing poopy diapers. Well, there's a thrill. You know, it's bad enough when it's your kid. <laughs> you do poopy diapers, it's not even your own kid. It's called service. All these things are servant things that you do. It is not based on your intelligence and how gifted you are in poopy diaper changing. All right? But the benefit, obviously, the simple humility of just serving, but the side benefit is the people that you connect with while you're doing this. And you get to meet these people and learn these people and get uh, friendships. Um, I'm of the personal opinion that it should be extraordinarily painful for you to leave a church if you're doing it right. Now, for some people, at some point, they feel like they need to for whatever reason. They all have their various reasons. It should never be because you're mad because the pastor is an idiot or whatever. Uh, there needs to be a commitment to the church um, and to the people. I mean, if, if you're really connected here, to leave should really be a, kind of a painful exercise. These are my friends. These are the people I know. These are the people I hang with. Their kids are my kids' best friends. You see what I'm saying? That kind of community thing should be happening uh, and not just being flighty about every time you don't like something to leave. And there's a lot of people who don't like that. They come, they leave, they come, they leave. They do it to churches all over the place. Uh, not really so bad in Green Bay, man. Move to the Bible Belt. Right? My goodness. Talk about the land of fruits and nuts. Christians, there's people float in and out of churches every three seconds and they go to a different church. There's people who that's what they do all the time. They never go to any church. Every Sunday they're going to a different church just because they, they, they have a spiritual explanation for it, which interpreted means crap, okay? It's very spiritual. But when you're jumping like that, it means you're not responsible to anybody. Nobody knows you. You don't have to do anything. No one's going to get on your case. You never volunteer. Well, I won't be here. Because you're too busy being spiritual, you know. Uh, anyway, we're supposed to be, the more we're connected, the more God can show up. And we see the dancing hand of God and the dancing gifts of the Spirit in our lives. That's what we're supposed to do. But as important as all of that is, the most important thing is to love, which is even more dependent on you knowing people. You can't love people if you don't know them. I have people all the time as I travel all over the world. Pastor, I just love you. Well, yeah, because you don't know me. In fact, there is some evidence that says the more you know me, the less you love me. <laughs> Apparently, I can be a real pain in the rear. Okay? Uh, it's easy to love somebody you don't know. If you're going to really do this love thing, you've got to get to know people. And it's kind of icky. People are a lot easier to love when you don't know them. People are tough. You know, I, I heard a Lutheran pastor say, because well, we're supposed to be Jesus' friends, right? He said, I call you my friends. He's preaching once and he says, you know what? He starts his sermon this way. He says, you know, I, I, I love Jesus, but I, I can't stand his friends. You know, because people are crazy. <laughs> Somebody laughed because it was hilarious, you know. Everybody knew what he was talking about. I love Jesus, but I don't like his friends. Well, you gotta love your, you gotta love his friends. We're all his friends. We're all part of this together. So anyway, so he gets right away into chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what's he talking about? He was just talking about the gift of speaking in tongues. If I can do this, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making a lot of noise, which by the way, there's a lot of people like this. They do whatever they do strictly for the attention of others. Uh, they're not really driven by love, and they just make noise. As far as God's all, God's hearing is a bunch of racket. If I have the gift of prophecy, this spiritual utterance, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I man, I got all this stuff going. I see stuff, I hear stuff, I know stuff. But, uh, and if I have faith that I can move a mountain and don't have love, I'm nothing. Really, because today you'd be a big superstar evangelist if you could do all these things. But without love, it doesn't mean anything. See, he says, it doesn't matter, all this stuff. What he's really trying to say is the most important thing is that you love people. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship, 
that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I think more translations, the phrase he uses, if I give my body to be burned, you know, if I allow myself to be burned alive. Uh, I don't know why they trans- translated hardship here. They probably thought burning was a little creepy. But, uh, you know, I could do that. I could sacrifice myself literally in the flames for someone else uh, so that I could say, look what a great way I died. <laughs> I'm so holy. I'm, I'm suffering so. Oh, you know. Uh, there's people who actually use suffering to manipulate people. You know. <laughs> there's some mothers that do that to their children. <laughs> Okay, I'll suffer on my own. Okay, I'll do it. You know what I'm saying? That's more playful. And then he goes into this wonderful, this is the part you read in, in all the weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. You may kiss the bride. All right. Man, I feel like I'm living in the desert here. Now, I did a series on this, I don't know, last year or something like that, where we went through and we looked at what every one of these words mean. And uh, I was thinking about doing that again. No, 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 we won't do that. Uh, let me encourage you. Here's your... Here's your homework. Take these words, each one, just this love is patient, love is kind. Look up the word patience. See what the dictionary says. You don't even need to have a dictionary anymore. You've got Google. You know, or you can go to Webster.com and read each one of these words. Because when you read it just the way I read it, most of us went, oh, that, yeah, that's great stuff. I got all that. And so you actually read what the words mean. Then you go, oh, I'm, I'm not doing so good. Because these words mean things. And when you know what patience really means, uh, what it need, means not to boast, what it means to be proudful, what it means to dishonor people, self-seeking, uh, keeping record of wrongs, delighting in evil, what it means to protect, what it means always to trust, what it means to hope, what it means to persevere, you look at these words. It'll, you, know, you can do it in you know, a very short time. But it'll be rather impactful because when you read, you go, Wow. Wow. Ow. Just the last one, persevere. That's hard. That means suck it up, buttercup. That means everything else in your life, everything in your life sucks. And it doesn't matter. Well, that's not the way we think today. If half of things suck, well, we won't want to quit. No, love always, always perseveres. Wow. So when you really start interpreting these words, it's easy to come to the conclusion that we are not nearly as loving as we like to think we are. And, uh, and it's, it's, again, this will be a great exercise. You know, pick one word a day over the next week or two and uh, just go through that, look at these words, and it's a way of looking in the mirror, you know. You want to stop and reflect. This, these are great words to so just sit and reflect on and look at in the mirror. It's good exercise. It's not always comfortable, you know. Looking in the mirror sometimes can be a real shock because I'm convinced I'm a beautiful man. And at times, the mirror disagrees with that. And it's rather shocking. And why did somebody tell me I had this thing sticking on my face over here? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You look in the mirror, look at this and go, ah, the reason we don't do it is because it's a little uncomfortable, but that's how you correct things. You're able to see, oh, I need to do this. Always hope, trusting, oh man, all the stuff that none of us like to do. That's what love makes you do. All right? Then he goes on, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Uh, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Now, this is all interesting because there are groups of evangelical Christians, not so much today. I, I, a lot of these groups have lightened up tremendously. But when I was growing up, you had churches who believed in spiritual gifts and the others who did not in any way, shape, or form and fought them at every, and just, you know, you were possessed of the devil if you spoke in tongues and any of these kind of things. 
And they would teach that the Bible says we're not supposed to have that anymore. Because it says, where there are tongues, they will cease. Well, okay. <laughs> but prophecies, yeah, they'll cease. Well, knowledge, it will pass away. You have to still have knowledge, don't you? I mean, and they say uh, that when completeness comes, all that will disappear. And they say, because once we have the Bible, that's completeness. That's why the church doesn't need supernatural miracles and stuff anymore. Uh, but they're nuts. That's not what it's talking about. And it, Paul didn't say, wait till, you know, I'm dead and they put it all together in, in one book and then it's, and it's all okay. That's not what he's talking about. Anybody who says that this means that once we have the King James Bible, that now we should have spiritual gifts, talk about a stretch. These are just people who don't like spiritual gifts. And they've got, they're a prejudice. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you were raised in churches that way to this day. You couldn't even comprehend of ever speaking in tongues because you, oh, you're convinced your head will start spinning and projectile vomiting everywhere. You know, because you're demon possessed. And you know what? You'll never get past it. Now, just the truth is. Anybody who's raised in a church like that, <laughs> you'll probably never get past it. That's why we shouldn't put that kind of nonsense in people's heads <laughs> because it's hard to break it later. As a young Christian, you're getting this stuff. If you're in the kind of church, as a young Christian, you're hearing all this, all this stuff is demonic. That's what they were teaching. I'd mention denominations, but it'll tick people off. Uh, you know, that's literally what they taught. And they get in a church like this, and they're okay, that's not what really the Bible says, but for them, they can never get past it. And uh, it's sad. It's just sad. Uh, Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. Which I love to point out, by the way, how old was he when this happened? Was it 12? 13, 14, somewhere in there. It's bar mitzvah. See, we teach that young men say that they're not men until they're 33. And, you know, you can't grow up and they're still living at home with mom playing video games. She's got to get them every morning to get them to go to work. Man, don't do that. You just kick those kids out. Good Lord. <laughs> Unless they're serving a real purpose. And they're earning their way. They can help you with rent. <laughs> At some point, you know, I mean, it all depends. Anyway, we literally coddle our young people today. We created this thing called adolescence. Only Western cultures have a concept of adolescence. Every culture in the world, including this culture, there was no such thing. You are a child, and then boom, you became a man or a woman. Straight up. It's always been that. And they would treat them that respect. And there wasn't this in-between nonsense time. And by the way, every culture that adopts the concept of adolescence has problems with adolescence. They all do. This didn't really start showing up even into uh, American Western culture until, was it the 40s or something like that? If you look at it historically, it took the 40s or 50s before we started actually adopting the concept of adolescence. Well, what happens once that kicked in? Then you got the 60s, the generation I grew up. All these little hellions running around. You know, the time they're 13, you know, they're 28, half demon possessed. You know, oh, they're just children, they're just teens, we can't expect them to grow up. No, 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 no. We don't play this game. At Celebration Church, we expect our young people to act as young adults. We don't believe, I, we just, I reject it wholeheartedly. I, this whole adolescent thing is a bunch of nonsense. Now, I get there's a transitional period you're going through puberty and oh, good Lord, what's happening now? All right, I get that. But you're a young man. If you treat them like young men and women, they'll start acting like young men and women. And you know what really fries my Puerto Rican pancakes? <laughs> Is our culture screams bloody murder that it can't, they're too young, they're too young, they can't get married, they're too young, they can't do this, you can't give them any responsibility. You know, there's only one part of our culture today that doesn't believe it. Do you know what it is? Anybody know? They take young men and women and turn them into something different. We have 18-year-old men who flawlessly, every day, handle and operate multi-million dollars of pieces of equipment and do it perfectly. And they don't drop the ball. And they stand at attention and they have respect. 
There's a big difference. You can always tell a young man who's in the army or Marines or whatever it is, whatever service, than a typical 18 or 19 or 20 year old. It's day or night. If it were up to me, I would make military service mandatory for everybody. Lots of cultures do this. They all have to serve. Israel does it, absolutely. You know, sucks to be you, you know. Go serve. I think it was two years in Israel. You know, different countries have different things. Even some of these little girly man countries like <laughs> Sweden and stuff like that, right? Some, some, <laughs> some, some, I don't know that Sweden particularly, but I'm talking these smaller countries, you know. Size of Idaho, you know, maybe. Uh, they have military service. It's mandatory. It's, mandatory. it's actually it's good for the culture. But we go out of our way. If, we ta- if anybody tried to institute that today, there would be hell to pay. And the mothers would be screaming bloody murder. You can't do that to my baby! Because we know that in our culture, we coddle them. And then we wonder why they're still single and unemployed at 42. All right, so he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I became a man, I quit playing, doing with childish things. And again, he's probably ballpark 13, 14 years old. When he's talking about it, that's what a man, that's when you become a man. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part and I shall, uh, then I shall fully, no, I can't read. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. He's talking about eternity. When we get to eternity, right now, we don't see things really clearly. You know, he's saying, you know, it's hard to see the reflection because uh, in that day, they didn't have the kind of mirrors we have today that are crystal clear, perfect mirrors. I mean, they're, you know, you can kind of see a reflection, but, you know, they're polished brass or something. Look into some polished brass and see what kind of picture you get of yourself. Uh, it's not nearly as, as it is today with the glass and the mercury behind the glass and all this other stuff. So it's, it's hard to see. The Christian experience, a lot of it is... What is that? It's either a goat or the backside of an elephant. I can't really quite... You know, it's, and it's called faith. And at times it's frustrating because we don't really see. Someday that'll all be removed. We will see clearly as we possibly can. Right now, we're looking, the King James Bible uses the phrase, we look through a glass darkly. You know, it's just like you you can't quite make out what's on the other side. You take the best guess you can. If that's how you feel your life is, you're normal. That's it. Uh, That's why you want to connect with others, ask for advice. People will see things that you're not seeing. Uh, Don't be so arrogant, nobody can tell you. Uh, Speak into your life. You want people to speak into your life. It's good for you. Okay, so, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he continues to say, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. This idea of being able to speak uh, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you and speak insights into people's lives. So he's telling them now, really stressing this thing about desiring spiritual gifts. Uh, and now, this whole thing is, is really interesting because the way Paul, actually, a lot of the Bible writers, you really see in the Old Testament that you don't really know what they're talking about until you get further in. We saw that a lot as we were studying the Old Testament. You know, you're here, whoa, 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 and else you get to, oh, okay, now it all makes sense. And just the style of writing, I don't know. Uh, in the way we write, we immediately set the, this is the who, what, where, how, and then we build on it. They start building on stuff until it becomes clear. Why I'm saying that is because when you start reading this, it sounds like he's very critical of like speaking in tongues. He picks on this for a bit. But uh, it's not until you get further into it, he's talking about in a public gathering, okay? Because as he's supposedly criticizing tongues, which a lot of people who don't like the idea of speaking in tongues will quote this part of the Bible in bits and pieces, which is why you need to take the Bible in context. You know, don't just take bits and pieces, read it, find out what exactly is going on. Uh, and they'll do that to try and, well, speaking in tongues, and they quote, pull a couple of these verses out. Ah, it's not important. Who cares? You know, because Paul says, I'd, I'd rather speak five words that you can understand than a million words in, in tongues. Uh, but he's not dissing. As we read this, he will be pointing out how wonderful it is to speak in tongues. Uh, but when you gather together in a group, 
uh, better to speak, in our case, English. Because if you're going to pray in tongues, who, nobody knows what you're saying. If you're going to speak in tongues, how can anybody say amen? We don't know what the you're talking about. All right? And he even says, people will walk in and think you're all crazy. Right? So let's read it. Follow the way of verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. He's not slamming that. The good news is that you're speaking directly to God. That's why it's neat to, to speak in tongues. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, which is a good thing to do. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Again, you're going to find out that he's talking about, for example, right now, if I sit here for an hour and speak in tongues, <laughs> you're leaving going, what the heck was that? <laughs> you know, we got it. So for the gathering, better to speak so everybody can understand it to strengthen and encourage people. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies, which means to build up themselves. Well, some of you could really use that, right? Pastor, I just completely, well, I'm just exhausted. I just figured everything stepped out of me. And I just... Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you spoken in tongues? Have you asked God for this? Because when you pray, in this, it's, like, it's like an internal generator. Seriously, I don't know, because I don't write it down every day, but I would guess... Since I was 16 years old, I've spoken in tongues every day of my life. It's my little charging thing. I was speaking in tongues, walking around by myself. I just like get the generator going. It feels great. I don't know about you, but I want to feel great. Because I hate not feeling great. This builds me up. This strengthens me. People who actually do this, you'll find that they tend to be a lot more wired. <laughs> a lot more spiritual energies in them, right? Because this is how they generate this. So, Pastor, the only time I feel energy is when I go to church. You probably never speak in tongues. Probably. Well, I don't know. Well, ask us. Talk to us. We'll help you with this. Anyway. Yeah, we don't get heavy on this. There's a reason we don't get heavy on this because a lot of this has been so abused. So we try not to act like crazy people. Okay. Anyone who speaks in tongues builds himself up, but anyone who prophesies builds up the whole church. That's why in the context, he's not slamming tongues. We need to build ourselves up. But when you're in the church, you want to speak so everybody can be built up. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Doesn't sound like a slam to me. Right? I would like all of you. But I would rather have you prophesy. The people who quote this saying, oh, we're so smart. Who cares if you speak in tongues? It's not. I wish you'd, you'd do all this. But I'd rather you prophesy, especially in the context of gathering together. Um, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Because some people will speak in tongues, then someone interprets, and, hey, this is what he said. Now everybody knows. Now, here's the other thing, by the way. Um, and we're going to run out of time here, but we'll get into it next week. What he's talking about, again, and it'll become clear as we get into it, about the gatherings. The way he describes the gathering of the early church, I don't know anybody who does this. We don't do this anymore. We don't do this. Uh, when he's in the place where he says, I don't let women speak in church. Uh, real hot button scripture. Uh, I mean, clearly, the context of this is about asking questions publicly. Because he says, if they have any questions, because then you got to read it to the end to see what he's talking about. If you just read the first verse, I don't let women speak. Oh, women can't talk, you can't preach. Wait a minute. Remember, he said, if a woman prophesies, she should have her head covered. These women prophesied. They got them spoke and they taught in church. Anyone says that he says he never allowed women to speak. It's absurd. Of course they did. He's talking in the context of, because this is how they used to have church. They would all get together. He's going to say this. When you get together, everyone has a tongue, has a hymn, has a spiritual. Everybody comes to church for their gathering and everybody has something to share. Okay? Publicly. We don't do that. I don't know any church that does that. Anywhere. I don't know when in Christianity they stopped doing this, but I think it started very early on because it became problematic. Paul's kind of trying to fix it. It's like, remember he says, some of you guys, when you're doing communion, you're getting drunk and pigging out because the original Lord's Supper was in fact a supper. So that's what they did, but they weren't taking it seriously and stuff and they were having problems and judgment was falling on them. Well, at some point, it switched from dinner to a little tiny thing and a little shot of something, all right? I mean, this is, you know, and this is like from the earliest record of Christianity. I don't know when they stopped making it suppers, but at some point it just, so a lot of this that he writes about, quite frankly, doesn't really apply. 
because you might all come with a great revelation, but I ain't letting you say Jack. You know, now maybe in your Bible studies you can do this. There's an opportunity, okay? Maybe, but we just don't do this anymore. And uh, they, men were allowed in this culture to ask questions. Women were not. We'll talk about that. We won't get that easily until next week. Uh, and we'll explain a little bit why that is. But they said, well, women weren't allowed to qu- ask questions. Well, today we don't let anybody ask questions. If, while I'm preaching and someone raises their hand, I don't stop. Yes, Larry, you have some insight over here, you know. No, shut up, I don't care. At some point, and this goes for the bulk of the last 2,000 years, church has been operated the way churches are today. We gather together, we worship, we sing, we have our liturgy or whatever, you know, in every church, even the most charismatic, they all have their liturgy. <laughs> their services are all planned out. Everybody thinks everyone's being led of the Spirit. Horse manure, that was decided before they all got together. They sit down in the back. I know how these things work. People thought they were more spiritual. Now our churches, we got a pretty strict liturgy. We, our services are all pretty much the same. Now different experiences each time, different things that you're hearing, different songs and stuff, but it's very structured. This happened from the earliest of Christianity. They get together, they'd sing, they would pray, they would take communion. Someone gets up and preaches, we leave. That's been the bulk of Christian spirit. So all of this that he's talking about is the context of the way they used to gather as they would sit down and everybody... It was kind of a free-for-all. And he's trying to bring order in it. Well, we bring order today. Nobody can do it. And it's just what it is. In fact, we'll see this because we're running out of time now. Uh, He'd say, when someone is prophesying and if someone else all of a sudden has a revelation, an insight, oh man, I just have a great thought about it, the other guy has to shut up. I ain't doing that. All right? Nobody does that. But that's what they did. So if I'm preaching, all of a sudden one of you guys, you know, Pastor Mark, I got a great idea of what you said. I supposed to shut it up. I said, no, you get up and talk. You know? And then as soon as Beth has an idea, then she has to shut up. She has to sit down. But then again, they would have church all day long. I mean, the way I got together, it was... No, I'm sure it was fun, you know? But it's a different culture. We don't do that today. Good Lord, we go much over an hour, people are ready to stone me to death. All right? <laughs> But these were all, the the culture was different and the way they structured. So we're going to glean things as I'm pointing little things out as we go through this, the benefits and stuff. But what he's talking, he's trying to get them to do this in an orderly manner. Virtually everybody came to church and anybody, well, some theologians think, well, there were probably just some that were allowed to prophesy. But even then it was groups of them, okay? And everybody basically got a chance to share whatever and stuff like that. The neat thing about it is they were so connected because they spent so much time just on Sunday alone, praying and hearing and stuff. And all of a sudden, that's when God started showing up. Miracles would start happening, the gifts of the Spirit. Again, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to move when we're not together. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's why we need to intentionally try and get everybody connected and, and knowing people and spending time with each other. But they would really do this. And if we'd spend, every Sunday, if we spent eight hours here, eight hours, and really got to know each other, and everybody got a chance to sing songs and pray and worship and stuff, it becomes a different experience. There are some who try to get back to this. They're very small groups, home churches and stuff like that, where they try to do church like this, but they tend to just be extraordinarily small because nobody wants to do this. And, uh, and again, I don't know when it changed, but it happened very early on. Because as far as I know, the bulk of the Christian experience for the last 2,000 years, communion is not... In fact, when you even tell people communion used to be a supper, we're all kind of shocked. Who ever heard that? That's what, they, that's what they were doing. We don't do that anymore. It all changed. The way they did church all changed. So this is going to be a little awkward as we go through because he's trying to tell them how to juggle this free-for-all, if you will, this big... Jesus festival atmosphere of songs and sharing and inside and praying. and Again, it would be great, I guess, but we, we don't do that. So that'll be the context. So we'll pick this up again next week and go through and we'll look at how and we'll just glean things. that There's still things he says here that are still beneficial to us, but the context of what he's saying doesn't really make sense. Even the women shouldn't speak and ask questions in the middle of church. Okay, but nobody can. We just don't do stuff this way. It's the way they did it. So we'll 
straighten that out. And I'll try not to be two minutes late. Next Wednesday. That was the first time I think I ever did that. No, I wasn't. I actually showed up before the music ended, but I was still wiring myself up. So I took it. And then I had to breathe for a minute so I could catch up my breath. All right? Y'all good? All right, God bless. We'll pick it up next week and we'll continue to take a look at this. Offering. Oh, well, they, they normally just hand it out. We didn't? Well, somebody hold a bucket back there. I won't hold you. Give in the offering on the way out. This is really for people. A lot of them, they don't normally give. They only come on Wednesday night and that's when they give their offering to the church. You guys know who you are. Make sure you stop by and give something like that. No, seriously. I mean, it's not like we're trying to double dip you or anything like that. Every time we go in, they want more money out of me. No, it's, it's really to cover people that you're patting them out. Anyway, no one's listening to me. What do I know? I just, I just work here. We'll figure it all out. Good night. God bless you all.